0: Hey guys, so we've been looking at what these last couple of weeks? Priorities. Um, So first priority we're looking at was the Word of God, prayer. Last week we looked at what? Community, fellowship, all that good stuff. Um, Tonight I want to talk about something that for most of you is probably um, kind of uncomfortable. um, Because it's something that... Probably a lot of us don't do. Um, And if we do occasionally partake of this certain thing, it might be very awkward and we don't like doing it, and so we tend to just avoid it. Um, If Christ is our number one, if we understand the gospel well, there are certain things in our lives that need to be true. Certain things that need to be our priorities. God's word, prayer, meeting together, that needs to be a priority. Another priority needs to be evangelism to evangelize, to literally proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to proclaim the message of the cross. If God is our number one, if we want to show to him that he is truly our priority, at some point in our Christian lives, taking the message, taking the life-altering decision that we made to other people needs to be a priority. Um, I'll say one thing. I'll say a few things, actually, tonight, more than one thing. Most of us here in this room, if I were to ask what you think your spiritual gift is, sirens, is that rare for Are you guys? guys? Yeah. Okay, I, I literally, I lived in Chicago, and sirens were like a every 20-minute occurrence. Like, you just heard them all day, and they just echoed through the skyscrapers. So, okay, small-town people here. Like, squirrel, squirrel, what? If I were to ask this group what you thought your spiritual gift was, I, I would venture to say maybe one, possibly two people would say their gift is evangelism. I will even say my spiritual gift, the things that I believe that God has gifted me to, to serve his church, is not evangelism. I met people in college, at Bible college, who believe their spiritual gift is evangelism. I'm sitting there talking to one right before we go off for of Christmas break, and he's like, man, Aaron, I'm just praying that on that plane flight tonight home that God just sits me next to someone, I'm able to just share the gospel with them, and I'm like, dude, that's really bad because I'm praying for an empty seat. You know, like, (laughs) I'm praying that I can just spread out. Like, I'm not, like, and and you meet evangelists, and it's like that's all they want to do. It's like how could you not ever just stop thinking about sharing the gospel of of Christ with everyone? And I say, that's awesome. Like, that that is what God has gifted you. That's how your brain is wired but for the most of us, that's not how we think. That's not how we're wired. It's not how we're gifted. But for every Christian, it's still mandatory that we share the gospel. That when Jesus gives the Great Commission to all of his disciples, to all those who say, I will bow the knee to Jesus, that we are called to go to all the nations, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And so I can spend... Months talking about evangelism, how to evangelize well, questions to ask, strategies, what's the best way to talk to family members, what's the best way to to start conversations. Obviously, we don't have time for that. So tonight, I want to just kind of give a brief time just to look at why typically we don't share the gospel with people. There's a a missionary named uh, Hudson Taylor who did many, many great things for the Lord, like one of those missionaries where you just read their stories and you're like, oh, my gosh, how does anyone do this? Talk about just a life of suffering, a life of doing as much as they can to show people that, hey, Jesus loves you. I mean, I just, I just think of the things they went through. and At the end of their lives, they said, we never sacrificed one thing. That after all they gave to Jesus, they, they, they felt like everything they did, all the hard stuff was for joy. They can serve Christ. Well, anyways, Hudson Taylor was preaching the gospel to his friend Peter. And they were on a boat. And they've had a few conversations before, and he's trying to, like, Peter, you, really, you need to listen to me. Like, you need to accept Christ. You need to repent from your sins. You need to understand that there's more in life than just what we see in the physical. And this is all temporal. And his friend Peter has nothing to do with it. And says, you know what? We've talked about this before. I don't really want to have anything to do with it. Well, they're on this voyage on a ship. And his friend Peter, in the harbor that they're pulling into, goes overboard. And Hudson Taylor looks to everyone on the ship, we've got to help, we've got to get him, we've got to make sure he doesn't drown, he can't swim. And everyone's just standing there like, oh, the water's really cold. Oh, I mean, he can help. And people are just looking around like they weren't going to do anything. So Hudson Taylor really quick takes off his shoes and jumps in the water and starts looking for his friend Peter. Realizing that no one on the boat is going to help him, he sees a fisherman boat about 10 feet away. And he starts yelling at them, my friend is drowning, please help me, help me. And the fishermen say, give us uh, some money and we'll come help you. And in desperation, he says, I have this much money, please just come, I'll give you anything you want. Just please help me find my friend. Well, how much money is that? He's yelling out whatever he can and finally these fishermen come, they drag their nets it's been about two minutes, and they pull up Peter, and he drowned. And Hudson Taylor, being the missionary that he is, began to reflect on that. That people all around who are capable of helping, people who said, I'd rather let a man drown before I get my money, you know? Like, and he tied it to the Christian life. And I don't know how he would ever see something that traumatic and con it on us Christians, but he said the same thing is very true of Christians. When those people who are able to help, to give him life, to jump in, to help, to make sure that he would live and they chose not to, is when Christians look around to the unbelievers, look to their families, and see them perishing in their sins, see them not knowing Christ, and decide to do nothing. That in essence we are doing the same thing, we are watching people drown and not caring. We're saying, What what can you do for me first? And Hudson Taylor began to talk about how that launched him into this life of career missionary work that I have something so precious that if I do not give it to people, I am literally watching people drown. Evangelism needs to be a priority. So Titus chapter 3, look down really quick at verse 3. This is Paul writing to a young pastor just like Timothy, but his name is Titus. And in this passage, this is what Paul is trying to get to us. This is what he's trying to tell us all, that we need to understand our own salvation before we can actually go and share it to others. Understanding the greatness of our own salvation will be the way that will lead us to sharing Christ with others. I don't want to have you raise hands, but think about this. Even the beginning of this school year, how many of you have made it a a thing in your life that I want to share Christ, the actual gospel, with at least one person since the school year started? Think back to the um, last school year. How many times were you able to get a conversation going where you're able to explain the gospel, tell someone enough information that they were able to receive Christ? I'll say don't worry um, because I'm probably just as guilty as most of you. Paul here is going to show us three tendencies that Christians typically have that stop them from sharing the gospel with others. Three tendencies. and I want you guys to know something. What you think about God will always result to how you live your life. The way you think about something is always going to show the actions of your life. So if you think that you don't believe in God and you're agnostic and you're atheist and whatever, who needs organized religion, that belief in God is going to translate in how you live your life, where you're going to be selfish, you're not going to care about others, you're going to make fun of religion, you're going to think people who, who believe in the Bible are just intellectual um, morons. And same thing for us Christians. What we think about God, who he is, how he loves the world, how he loves us, is always going to translate into how we live our Christian life. That's why it is necessary to know what the Bible says about God. If we have the right things to think about God, that will translate into right living. Does that make sense? And so Paul wants to say, hey, we need to understand our own salvation. You need to make sure that you get it, that you understand the cross, you understand what has happened to you. But we have typically three tendencies that we just neglect to think about that lead us from stopping sharing the gospel, that stop us from saving the drowning kid walking by you in passing period. First one. The first tendency we have is we tend to underestimate how bad our sin is verses 3 and 4 for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures passing our days in malice and envy hated by others and hating one another and so what Paul is saying is that this what you have to understand this summarizes human nature this is what people do when they are apart from God when they are living for themselves when they do not have a relationship with God this is how they act Now, I kind of just broke this up into a few categories. But foolish, disobedient, deceived means that people, they do not understand naturally. They're confused. They're seduced. They, They go astray, all right, from what is true. How does that result into how they live? They make decisions based on themselves. They make decisions that are very temporary. They don't really understand what the whole meaning of life is. Why am I here? They do not have a good concept on ethics and morals and why I should be a good person. Any Christian who you meet, if you ask enough qu- any unchristian, excuse me, any unbeliever you meet, if you ask enough questions, you will find gaps in their worldview. You will find things that doesn 't make sense, you contradict yourself right here, you say this, but you act like this, and that 's what the world is when they don 't know Christ. He goes on um, he says. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Um, I like the Nasby, It says, enslaved to various lusts. To lust after something is to, to have a deep passion and desire for something that God has forbidden. So when we think of lust, okay, we think of typically that has connotations of sexual immorality. Sex was made for marriage, and sex in marriage is a good thing. When sex is desired outside of marriage, you are now desiring something that God has forbidden. And this is how people who are apart from God live their lives. It goes on a little bit. Okay. Hateful and hating each other. I really like that. It says, hated by others and hating one another. Just hate all around. Okay? So, in essence, there, um, Paul's implying that there's an active, always present. Um, just ill being for one another. Even if you look back to Genesis, right? Who's read the book of Genesis before? We're going way back in time. You have, after the flood, you have culture starting to happen. and You have people like Lamech, um, who was like the great, 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 great grandson of Noah. Maybe like three or four of those, okay? And you have culture starting to happen. And you have Lamech who says, I have killed a young boy for scratching me. And so I will do 70 times over to anyone who hates me. So in the very beginning, when culture is happening, when, you're supposed to, when culture is supposed to be, I'm going to do things to serve the betterment of other people, Lamech is saying, I don't care if anyone slightly even scratches me, I'm going to kill them. We hate each other, and they hate us. Alright, remember that phrase we talked about? Here's the kicker. He's talking about the way we used to live. He's talking about us. He is talking about your heart. Jeremiah 9, the heart is a people above all else. Who can understand it? I love what Pastor Carl talked about today in church. That God is talking about his own people, the Israelites, us. says, my people are skilled in doing evil. You see, we come to God, we ask for forgiveness, and we say, you know, God, I really, I feel bad for what I did. Please forgive me. A lot of times when we pray and we ask for forgiveness, the attitude we have is I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. A lot of us say, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good kid. I don't do a lot of things. I don't do drugs. I'm not messing around with other people. Uh, I'm just doing my own thing. Yeah, every once in a while, I'll lose my temper. You know, I have my mistakes. Everyone does. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm not that bad. Like, none of us in this room would be willing to say, I've never sinned, right? Anyone here willing to say that? Like, yeah, we all have our faults. But I'm not that bad. And it's that thought, I'm not that bad, that kills us. Because when we understand how bad we actually are, that we are these people, that we hate one another, that we are distorted in our mindset, that we have gaps in our worldview, that we consider things that God... Has made as something I can do now. Lust after things. If we don't understand how bad we are, we cannot understand how much we need Jesus. And we tend to underestimate how bad we are. I remember talking to someone um, a few years ago at work, and I was sharing my story, my own testimony, and it was very just casual. Just asking me like, "What's going through your mind? Like, why do you study the Bible? Why do you go to this Bible school thing?" and and I was talking to him, and I, I said something, I'm the worst sinner I know. And the way he looked at me was like, are you kidding me? He's like, I've, I've been working with you for a while, like you don't do anything remotely close to the people I hang out with. He's like, in my mind, you're like the best person I know. How could you say something like that? And I began to explain to him. Because once I, I see perfection... Once I walk with Christ, once I see the light, and I come closer to that, the more stains I see in my own heart, the more times I see how I consider my interests more than others. So many times where I'm concerned about my, my comfort, that I'm lazy, that a lot of times I just think bad about people, that so many of my thoughts, majority of my thoughts are not pleasing to God. I am the worst person I know. If someone came in my mind for a day, I would be scared. And he began to see that just because people look a certain way and they conform to certain pressures and you're supposed to act this way and hold the door open for ladies and say please and ma'am and sir and all those different things doesn't mean that people are good. And if we have an, an expectation or understanding that, yeah, I'm bad, but I'm not as bad as that guy, it will lead us to understanding that the gospel doesn't have that much of a need when i look into the world when i look into people who are sinning and i I see them living their ways i think one sinners are going to sin right I, i sometimes i'm just baffled with sometimes christians they get so upset when people who don't know christ are sinning and i say what do you expect them to do there are sinners who are sinning like it just makes sense but when I read this passage, and I see the way I was before I came to Christ, I understand that I have a huge need. I need saving. I need a rescuer. I need someone who can come in and fix this. And the same thing is true for the unbeliever who I'm talking to, to the kid who's walking in the hall, the cashier at the grocery store, out at Chipotle. And it was the weirdest little thing. I, I came in, I, you know, I was really frustrated. This is a funny trail, by the way. Um, it was like 9.30 at night. I just had the itching for Chipotle. I was like, you know what, I'm going to put the online order in. I'm going to drive up, pay, go. Boom. I get there. Hey, we ran out of rice. So we're making it right now, so it's going to be 15 minutes. I'm like, this. like, I don't know if you guys understand the frustration of driving 15 minutes until so you don't have to wait and then have to wait 15 minutes longer. Um, I feel like you guys aren't catching on to this frustration enough. But anyways, yeah. I'll, I'll move on. I'll move on. So I'm sitting there waiting for my Chipotle, hoping that they'll maybe throw in a free drink or something, you know, or free chips and guac, you know, nothing, by the way, nothing. Um, and there's this little kid, and he's sitting like me, like, I was at the, the, the bar stools, and he's like four away, and he's just staring at me. Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Hi, oh, I mumbled, and he starts mumbling. I can't really understand him. Something about Jacob and softball. Oh, cool, Jacob. I was like you, you like baseball? So, like, oh yeah, I like baseball. My mom. It's like oh, yeah. I can't, like, I can't hear you. Like, I feel like he's afraid to talk to adults or something. Well, anyway, so he gets one closer. So he's like across, and he's moving a little closer. I'm like, yeah. So do you play baseball? Do you have a glove? Do you play catch with your dad? And he starts talking, he starts talking, and he moves one over, and there's like two way. And I see his mom ordering. She's kind of looking over, seeing you know this her like six year old son talking to this um, grown man.